77 Minutes in Heaven. Welcome. This is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Mavericks podcast that promises to always take you to the rodeo. I'm Tim Cato. I write to talk about the Mavericks. We've got we've got Mike Pellucci, you know him, D Magazine Zone. Well, we've True. got another D Magazine contributor. Well, D Magazine takeover today. Uh, the, the, the famed, the, the the second most the second most famous Slovenian in Dallas. Second most beloved Slovenian. I'll tell you that. That's much. that's for that's for damn sure. Is talk? How are you? Good. Are there many uh, people in Dallas that know more than two Slovenian guys? I, I, th- I think it might just <laughs> be the ultimate. Lie. You lie and you say, yes, there are so many. I mean, Goran didn't sign here, so nobody knows who he is anymore. Uh-huh. It's kind of like yeah. the, you just got to. If you put him on the list, then I, I, I'm still the second most beloved guy. <laughs> it's not hard. Exactly. <laughs> well, Iztok, um, Iztok obviously writes for Mass Moneyball, for, for D Magazine. You know, I'm sure you know him on Twitter. Uh, go follow him there. And if, if, if you don't, always tweeting out helpful graphs, uh, interesting stuff. He even visited Dallas in, in February and, and wrote a really good piece for D Magazine about that um, and mentioned me as a sort of hipster but i did take you to rodeo bar so that's my promise to anybody who ever visits dallas i will take you to the rodeo but mostly i want to talk about uh, a piece that you wrote on monday that actually cited um my colleague seth part now who on the athletic did something called his tears which is basically just his way of ranking annually all the players in the league um, I like it, and I like the analysis you did off that. I also wrote on Monday a conversation with Saad Youssef, where I was talking about, um, you know, how the offseason has been, but also it's the the future and, and where the Mavericks go from here. And and so I think just a conversation kind of based off those two things is is what we're going to have today. What was your number one takeaway from the piece you wrote, Istok, if you were to describe it? Um, you know, both the, the rankings and the tiers and, and which players, how many players the Mavericks have that fell into those tiers, but then just broadly about what you felt you learned about the team writing that piece. Yeah, I mean, to begin with, like you said, I really like what said does, because especially in the offseason, because I think it's a good time to step back and look at the league and how the Mavericks fit in from the bigger perspective, because... As I wrote in the piece, I think NBA is really a talent-driven league and how the talent is distributed is something that's very important. And this exercise, when you look at the roster, when you look at other teams, uh, gives you a good, I think, like a bird-eyes view on how the talent is distributed. And probably the biggest takeaway uh, for me, when you look, I took, uh, I think, 12 uh, best teams in, in best teams in title odds per uh, title odds per Vegas for next season, and Dallas I think ranked 11th uh, or was tied at 11, 12 with Memphis. And out of these 12 teams, the Mavericks are the only team that has only one player in the top uh, top 40. So in the tiers uh, one to three, and this is something I think that's something I think you guys and especially you team have been discussed for a long time. This like three. Off seasons, the Mavericks are trying to pair the second guy to find the second guy that would be next to Luca in tier three. Uh, so this was maybe, let's say, a more pessimistic view if you see how what is the path for the Maverick to contention. But then something that I think uh, Jake, our colleague, wrote about today, when you look about when you look to uh, to players in tiers four, five, where the Mavericks have some guys this year: Maxi Kleber, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith. Last year there was Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christian Wood. 
there is talent there. And what I think is good and what I think the new management did is players in this tier don't have, in this, uh, let's say, four to five tier, don't have bad salaries. So you don't have guys who are paid like 25 million or 30 million like Kristaps was. Per- so this is something that if we can look for more optimistic things is they, they manage to keep the similar talent pool behind Luca, but I think the contracts are better. And on the long run, I think they are a little bit more flexible. I like top 40, you know, like, like, you know, how many players you have that are top 40 in the league. There's not a lot of title teams that only have one such player in that. I mean, even thinking about, you know, other one star uh, champions and the, 2011 Mavericks are an obvious example. I, I I would argue at least one of those players was was top 40. You know, maybe maybe not. Maybe you know, so, like I don't know if Istok was on this thread with me, but uh, Seth actually replied to somebody. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. yeah, and Seth basically said, "Look, Tyson Chandler that year might have been close to top 20." So for you know, that's before Jason Terry, that's before Sean Marion, who is still probably 85 percent of what he was in Phoenix. So yeah, just Tyson Chandler alone would be. A dramatic upgrade, and, you know, as the second banana to Dirk over anything Lucas dealing with right now. Right, and, and as you as you as we were talking about Mike, uh, Jake Kemp wrote a follow up piece, and basically the argument or or the the hope, the reason to be optimistic for next season that you know, even though this team just went to the conference finals, it, they're not a title contender, you know, as of this moment. But the the reason to be optimistic is they have players who could push into you know, a top 40 level of impact or effectiveness. Um, how realistic that is, is is much more slim. But Christian Wood is very talented. Spencer Dinwiddie is very talented. And I guess those are where the questions or the reasons for optimism lie for next season. Yeah, and you know, and to be fair to Jake, look, you know, Jake's conclusion was less about even forward improvement and more just if you want them to maintain what they were in a world where Jalen Brunson is not on this roster anymore, these are the guys who at the very least have to step up to maintain the status quo, if not take a slight step forward. You know, I don't think anybody, you know, any of the three of us or anybody out there really believes that the roster is ready yet. Even if all three of Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway, Jr. Christian Wood, those are the guys he centered on. Even if all three of those guys take a step up, you know, let's say, Spencer, his argument was, let's say Spencer starts knocking at the door of maybe tier three and Tim and Christian get back to this list next year. Even then, this team still needs that that real second guy. But there is at least variance with those three. Because if you look at the other guys on the list already, Luca is Luca. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber are pretty much who they are, which is good because you can depend on their levels of performance. You know, I don't think there's a scenario barring injury where we you know, we don't see a continued high level of play from both of those guys next year. There's a lot of variance in those other three players, and that's really what is going to make or break this team season. Istok, I'd love to hear kind of your view of the best case scenario or, you know, at least like a, a optimistic but still realistic view of, of you know, kind of how everything could go uh, right for the team next season. Yeah, I think it's a combination of what you guys said. So, I mean, we have a lot of not a lot, three years of evidence that Luca plus a competent uh, supporting cast wins from 57 to 63% of the game. So this is like, let's say, 48 to 50, 52, 53 games. And I don't think this team, bearing a major injury, God forbid, to Luca or any other key player, I, don't, I think they are on the pad there. 
Luca and Yanis are two of the most cons- consistent superstars. Maybe they are not in the best two players, or Yanis is, but maybe Luca is not, I don't know, in tiers top top five, but he's the most consistent superstar along Yanis in the last three years. So this is something that's a good base. And if I go back to what you said, so what can make you optimistic? They have a very good role player. So I think they will be top 10. Uh, they will be they will have like 10 players deep. And these three guys that we said with high variance, and if I go back to what I said about contracts and flexibility, I think if these guys plays up to their talent or to best case scenarios, I think then you have more trade potential because the contracts are not so bad. So this is where I see future future paths to the second guy. So because the contracts for these guys, they are all in 15 to 20 million range. And if they, if Spencer can play up, if Wood can play up to their abilities, even Tim Hardaway Jr., who has the down year last year, then I think all of a sudden Dallas has like five, six players who are interesting and who could fit on anything. And they, then maybe uh, they could can make a move to to upgrade the talent. I, I agree to a point. You know, I, I do think the salaries are well laid out that they're movable. One one thing, and, and I touched on this in my conversation on Monday, was that I, I just worry how much value those players have, how appealing they are to other teams. And one of the major reasons for that is that Luka makes players better. Um, I, I think Christian would. We can s- set that aside briefly because that is someone who potentially, if he plays really well, but for some reason... Dallas decides the fit isn't there. I think that's a player that they, you know, would look at moving again, especially on an expiring deal. Um, but someone like Reggie uh, Bullock, who is paired, paid fairly, who is very good in his role, he doesn't have any more value to other teams than he would the Mavericks, right? Uh, Dorian certainly is is the same way as that. Um, you know, one of the ways that you can win a trade is by shipping out a player another team sees more value in. And I just don't know if they have any of those players. You know, there's three methods to building a team. It's free agency trade and and the draft. They don't, you know, the Mavericks don't have draft picks coming up. Uh, They have the potential for cap space in 2024. But, you know, they're trying to improve the team in the the next two seasons. You don't want to wait two years until your next week. Now, whether they're going to have to, that's we can get to that as well. But, you know, that's when I when I look at this, it's like the Mavericks aren't lined up with the typical path to make trades to improve their roster in terms of young players that would provide more long-term value to another team than immediate value to you know what the Mavericks currently are. They don't have the first round picks to, to send out. And they don't really have those players to me that um, another team would look at and say, oh, we can get more out of that player because Luka gets so much out of all these role players. And that's why you know their, their floor is so high with him on the roster. But it also does limit, in my estimation, a little bit of what they're going to be able to do, at least in terms of bringing in a, another top forty player. Is is that all? Is that all fair? It's interesting because I think if you're really honing in those specific names, I think Christian Wood is the most is probably the biggest paradox of because nobody's ever doubted Christian Wood's talent, you know, raw talent or his ability to get numbers in bad situations. If Christian Wood can produce in Dallas and be less of a defensive liability, then at that point, I do think he's a name people will be interested in because nobody's ever doubted what he can do. It's just, does this translate in a winning environment? But if Christian Wood does those things, Dallas probably doesn't want to trade him because all of a sudden you you want to trade with Houston 
because if Christian Wood produces close to Houston Christian Wood in a better environment that doesn't hurt you defensively, that's a piece who could be on the floor in high-end playoff games. So then how are you really making yourself better if you actually trade him, right? Because he does so much of what they don't have and fills a need that theoretically, well, not theoretically, the need's been there. He theoretically could fill that. So then you're but down the, to Din. What's that? The, so so the counter the counter to that is that mm-hmm. even even in the best case scenario of Christian Wood, he's not pushing you into a level of title contention. I, I think we can agree on that. Yeah, yeah, I and, agree. But I will say, and, that like, and to resign him because he's on an expiring would eat into future chances to have cap space, which may be your one path forwards to top forty. And maybe I'm underestimating a little bit of what best case scenario Christian Wood looks like. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I'm more, I think I'm more rosy on that than you are. I mean, we've seen those numbers, those brackets of big men that he is in, in terms of scoring, in terms of three point percentage efficiency, and in terms of rebounding and helping as a weak side shot blocker, right? He has a skill set that is very rare and that literally everyone else who fits these buckets is an all-star type player or an MVP candidate. So I don't, I agree with you that I don't think Christian Wood could be the second best guy, but I do think Christian Wood, if he hits the best case scenario here, could be at least the fourth best guy on a title contending team, maybe the third. The sort of piece that you are, now if a top 40 type player or a top 30 type player comes along, then yes, I'm with you, Christian Wood would be expendable. But I also think if Christian Wood does what I think he can do, you are paying him and you are happy to cut that check. And I also think, think that the path to the second the second star or the top 40 player, it's gradual. Based on what I've seen from Nico until now, I think it's very systematic. If you look, they're like, Untying the past, so the Porzingis trade was that. Even letting Jalen Brunson, in a way, I think, is that. Although it hurts in the short run, I think in the long run, potentially, might be easier to get to a more compatible, I don't know, wing top 40 player, which I think it's optimal next to Luca, than if you would have Jalen Brunson at the $30 million contract. So I think... Like you said, they don't have the ammo to pull it up now. I think after the next year draft, where they will be able to trade future first-round picks, and this is what we've seen, that basically every top 30 player requires two, three future first-round picks. I think this is something that that probably I see this season as a stepping stone to that. So however Christian Wood evolves, I see it in that perspective. It I don't know, if he becomes an all-star, great, you have an all-star that you can trade. If he's, I don't know, okay, okay player, they'll probably try to sign like Jalen to a reasonable contract that can they use in future. So this is how I see, I think, uh, probably, I don't know how they sell this to Luca (laughs) because it's a slow progress and it's a gradual climb, but I think this this is the only pad staying on this course, being smart, and don't jump and further complicate things like they tried with the Porzingis trade. Yeah, and I, I 100% agree. I, I, I do agree that this has to be a gradual progress, uh, process. And I absolutely believe that there will be a major move the Mavericks make at some point in the future. Uh, you know, during this, you know, during the contract that, that Luca assigned to, they're going to be in a position that they can make a big move and shake up the roster. A lot of the reasons I'm interested in having this conversation now is is because of the conference finals run and the idea that the Mavericks might take a a step back or they might be exactly 
you know, they talent wise, they might be very similar to where they were last year and other teams are going to lap them. And that's a tricky, that's a tricky combo for, for all the reasons you just said. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, you know, Luca will be understanding to a degree. I, I, I'm positive, but you know, that, that is, that is a hard thing to, you know, tell your generational superstar who's 23. He's still 23, right? Does he turn 24 yeah. next year? Yeah. 24, 24 February, next year. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. It's, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't think that it's, it's a concern to the point that Luca's going to be upset or anything like that. Um, but even as a fan base, I, I think that there needs to be an understanding that a conference finals run doesn't mean that this team is any better positioned to take that next step to become a title contender. And in fact, there might be a number of steps between the Mavericks roster as it currently stands and the Mavericks making what they hope is a move that really pushes them into favorite territory. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just the steps on their roster. It's you can make those steps in your roster be better. And then you potentially fall behind the rest of your competition of the West, right? It's no matter what Dallas does, even if they kept Jalen Brunson, uh, let's say Jalen Brunson stays and you have the two big men come in here. It's a better team than last year, but is that team better than Denver? who was below them in the Western Conference standings, but gets Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. I would argue no on paper. And that doesn't mean Dallas did badly. I think it, it would be a successful offseason. You just look and say, well, Denver has just a better built team because they've made good decisions for longer periods of time. Same thing for the Clippers when Kawhi Leonard is back on the floor. You know, So I think it is almost, it is a race not to be reckless. They have to figure out a way to make their roster better to sell the idea to Luca that we know what we're doing and trust us and let us do this at our pace. Because if they don't do that, and again, I'm with you. I don't think Luca, even if they take a step back this year, and to be clear, I would say right now, looking at the roster in late July, I would expect that. I don't think Luca is going to be that worried in the course of one year. But if that big move or this big progress doesn't come in, let's say two years time, then all of a sudden, if Luka Doncic starts saying, what, what's the plan here, guys? Where are we going? At that point, I'm with you. There will be a move. It's just a matter of whether they make the move they want to make on their timeline or they make a move because we've seen this in the NBA before. Your hand gets forced when your superstar says, you better do something now. And Dallas says, okay, we have our picks. We have movable players on good contracts. This is our best option. Cross our fingers and hope it works. You don't want to be in that second camp for every possible reason. So to avoid that, you have to hope that the plan, that these steps, even if they don't look better in the standings this year, you know, as his talk saying, if your roster is better overall in assets by the end of the season, which is a gross way of wording it, but you know, that is functional the way that this is regarded in NBA personal circles. If your roster is better on assets this season, taking that step back to take a step forward is a legitimate thing. So that's that's kind of the stakes here. It's the immediate timeline, but it's also the bigger picture timeline because the bigger picture timeline is not just what do you do and whether it works. It's whether you can even make the moves you want to make anymore or if Luka Doncic starts driving the train and says, fix this and fix this right now. And I, and I think reframing this conversation is important because next season should be enjoyable to, to fans. It, it's still one with Luka Doncic. The Mavs are going be, to be very good. but I bet a bunch good. of people won't enjoy it. <laughs> right, but if, but if you don't reframe your perspective around, oh, the Mavs just went to the conference finals. And so the only way to make progress is to go to the finals. 
then I, I could see next season not being enjoyable. And, and I think that that would be the wrong approach. It's just not realistic to where this team is. I mean, you tell me, Istok, we've, we've talked about your fandom as a Slovenian, uh, you know, in, in at least once uh, in, in a story that I that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was uh, during the, the the conference finals, actually, maybe after the yeah, first yeah. game. And you don't have quite as an emotional view of of things. I, you, you know, you're telling me how you're a lot more analy- analytically driven uh, because of all the writing you do around the team. But you're still a Slovenian. You're still a Luka yeah. fan. You know, like like how how do you but see that? Yeah, personally, like I think for me personally, that Western Conference run last year helps because I think they. Re- achieved something with this team that was above expectations, which I think is important because this is basically how you judge superstars, you know, uh, what is the talent around them and what they do. I think most of the Slovenian fans look at this way more simplistically. Okay, Luka is a crappy team. They want to win everything. He should change the team or something like that. But I think for me personally, it's uh, it's uh, looking at it from this perspective. So I think achieving what they did last season, I think, if they're competitive. And as we said before, I think this is also how I think Mavericks fans should look at the Western Conference run. With Luka, you always have a chance. How big of a chance it is depends on the talent around. And last year, I think the chance played, or the let's say the odds played in my, uh, Mavericks' favor. They had, uh, they had, they, they took the opportunity of, Suns collapsed basically after 2-0 and won the, the Western Conference semifinals. But realistically, they expe- exceeded expectations. So I think this year, maybe with the roster moves, they lower. And like Mike said, what is what other teams, how they look in the Western Conference, maybe these odds are even lower. But with Luka, you always have a chance. And that's why you watch sports. That's why you watch the season. But I think you, you need to watch it with a, with a proper mindset. As for Slovenian fans, I think what also helps is that we'll see a lot of competitive look at basketball now. You know? So with Eurobasket and the qualifiers, this is the whole new thing. And I think personally, this helps also look a little bit to, to, think, uh, to think about some different things and find the motivation. Uh, so I think he's not, too, and also knowing him, he's not too much worried about the offseason at the moment. Yeah. Okay, so there's there's one thing we've discussed that I want to circle back to just just one more time as as we uh, close out this conversation. I I mentioned the possibility of cap space a couple times, and that is a possibility in 2024. But I also think it's it needs to be um, noted that stars in the NBA, top 40 players in this league of late, are not moving through free agency by and large. So 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 often teams, franchises that recognize the possibility of that level of player leaving are so proactive about trading them before their contract expires. And so I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the Mavericks have to consider that. They have to know that cap space is is going to be an option. But I think really over the next couple of years, what they need to be building towards is the ability to make a trade for one of these stars. And I do worry, you know, without I don't know how they would get the sort of young prospect that is the ideal headliner for a lot of these deals. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, the 2020 draft was a real missed opportunity. Um, not just Josh Green, who, who may be a better rotation player next season, but is not going to be that sort of headliner. 
Um, and, and certainly there are two very high second round picks, uh, spent on players who are not even in the league. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that's, that's really unfortunate. And so, you know, maybe Christian Wood is that he's, he's still youngish and, and maybe they resign him to a, to a deal that makes sense. And just how well he plays in Dallas would kind of allow another team to be like, yeah, that's, that's a player. That's a player we'd look at. That's a player that, you know, we can see building around for a few years. Um, but it gets tricky. And, and like you said, it's talk, you know, it's, it's, it's a building process. It's a gradual process. A lot of this is getting to next summer and getting that pick over to New York and, and, and having, you know, the freedom the from ability. the Stepien rule. Right, right, right. So, so some of this is, is just a waiting game and, and, you know, the Mavericks will have an offer that is, that is more appealing in time. But, you know, as much as cap space is the, you know, in in the sense that you don't have to send anything out, you don't have to build an offer. Everybody wants to build their cap space. It's it's the fastest way to add talent without losing any. There's some sacrifices you have to make, but it is objectively the fastest and most direct way to do that. I don't think the Mavericks. It's it's much less likely than more likely the Mavericks are going to be able to build in that way, and and I really think they need to consider trading. And, 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 you know, building a such an offer to trade as like this team's path forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's why I think I think, like you said, after they send this this last pick to New York, they have the ability to 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 trade two fee two free future firsts, and this is your starting point. Then, like you said, maybe you don't have the young talents, but maybe you have a good guys on a reasonable contracts like Dorian, like Maxi, like. Uh, Maybe Christian Wood, maybe like even Spencer Dunity. So this is, I think, is this is the 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 best path. Until then, I think hopefully the moves they make, and I hope they make some moves even at the trade deadline. Maybe everybody is spec. I don't know, speculating. Will they go for a ball handler or something else? But these moves needs to be fit in this bigger picture of things. And also what we've seen, and this is also what I tweeted in the past. I think. We see Jason Kidd's input. Yeah? He's getting a lot of his guys around him, also in terms of coaching staff, in terms of, in terms of players. So I think they will build on this style of play that they want to play. And I think uh, building the culture, the chemistry, and this is something that's going to matter. Yeah? The, the trade they may end up making may be a trade like the Christoph Rosingas one, you know, where it's a trade for a player who has some flaws, who has some uncertainties. But there is a scenario where Chris, uh, Chris Porzingis was the perfect second star to Luca. I understand why they made that trade. We can go back and do revisionist history and, and say that maybe the Mavericks acted too quickly to try to acquire that second star, especially yeah. for who they acquired. I still think that trade was justified. Uh, it didn't work out. It, it, it set them back a little bit in, in some ways, but I understood why they made that move. And that, that may be just the, the archetype of, of trade that they're looking at in, in the future, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could the, the Porzingis thing is a tangent, but it, it, I, I've seen people retroactively say that it was a bad idea. That was not a bad idea at all. That at the time, with the information we had, was a fantastic idea that didn't totally work, but also didn't completely fail either because you got another good player out of the deal in some harder way. You were able to flip Porzingis for two players who helped you go to the conference finals, one of whom in Spencer Dinwiddie is a positive asset. And 
yes, you traded picks, but those picks are going to be, you know, bottom, you know, bottom third of, th- of the first round, or at least this one will be. The last one wasn't, uh, and none of the players you traded ended up doing anything. Dennis Smith Jr. was a key part of that deal at the time. Dennis Smith Jr. might be out of the league this year, right? So it was fine, even when it didn't go great. It was fine, and at the time, is a great idea. But yeah, big picture, I'm with you that the trade route is their best play, and also historically, the trade route is what they do best, right? If you look at those three avenues. This team strikes out in free agency constantly. We don't have to relitigate that. Their draft history is extremely checkered because you have, on the one hand, two superstars, one of whom is already one of the 20 best players ever. The other one, who's here now, probably will be someday if he doesn't get hurt. Uh, and, you know, the occasional great role-playing piece like a Jalen Brunson or a Josh Howard. And then huge years of nothing in between. It's really feast or famine in the draft. The trade market, by and large... They do well in that. And when they won their last title, it was because, and we talked about this on the show, it's because they kept trading over and over and over and over and over again. And they just kept moving and acquiring more talent and then maneuvering that talent to find the best fit. And at the ahead of the trade deadline last year, we wondered if they still had that appetite to do those things. The answer clearly between the Wizards deal and between the Christian Wood deals, yes, which is good. That is a whatever happens with Christian Wood. The logic is smart. You want Dallas to be aggressive in the trade market and say, all right, let's bring in a talented piece and see if we can turn them around. Uh, the one name we haven't talked about, by the way, who I would say certainly because of where Dallas got him in the draft, you have to sort of presume is a bit of a long shot to become a great piece. But the seat, the ceiling is there for Jaden Hardy to be a lot better than an early second round pick, right? And Austin talked about this earlier in the offseason. I had written it the night they drafted him. The whole point of why you draft Jaden Hardy instead of, let's say, an EJ Liddell, who I liked. EJ Liddell's classic sawed-off big man that is becoming more and more in vogue now would have fit something this team needed, was on the board, whatever. The reason you take Jaden Hardy is if you don't have assets, you need to get ceiling somehow. So take a shot at that guy because best case scenario, he becomes something really good for you. But even if he shows flashes, right? How Until Roddy Bobaw got hurt, Roddy Bobaw was a commodity on the trade market. If Jaden Hardy shows flashes, it is very easy for teams to look and say, oh, you know, second round pick, cheap contract, restricted free agent match rights, top five town of the country coming out of high school, raw skills. Hell yeah, we'll put that in a deal. We want that in our roster. He's unlike anything else they have in this team right now. And that's why if there is, you know, I don't think he's ready to contribute right now. I think it's a fool's errand to believe he could be. But I also think that, getting the occasional fourth quarter minute or two here and there to, you know, a garbage time game as opposed to just being the G League all year. That's not bad because that gives him some opportunities to learn, get his feet wet and also showcase himself because that is a guy who, yeah, I don't think he'll be the key piece of the deal, but he's certainly something that has some value because look, uh, I think back very different player types, different comparisons, but I think back to four years ago, was it three or four years ago when Anthony Simons came to the league for Portland. Anthony Simons was raw as sushi hyper-talented, did not do a damn thing at Memphis, right? Did he even get to Memphis or did he withdraw from school? I forget the whole story. But, I don't remember. But he was buried on Portland's guard depth chart, didn't do anything, but it was a constant, hey, Anthony Simons could be something someday. Just give it a few years. Anthony Simons is raw. And at the time when Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum and other players there, you're thinking, okay, sure. But lo and behold, a lot of teams love Anthony Simons right now. That's the hope here, right? You know, I think the player archetype of Jordan Poole makes some sense. But in terms of just what you want him broadly to be, it's this hyper-raw dude who had a bumpy path to get to the draft, and you're going to have to wait on. But if you wait, or if another team says, I want to wait on him, Dallas has something there. 
Those are, yeah, that's that's all a really good point. Is talk any closing thoughts on that or just kind of broadly? No, on that, I agree with Mike. I think you need you need to go on high potential at late in the station, the Dallas is. But other thoughts, I think the trade market, like you said, the last two trades that they did, Christian Wood, even before doing the Porzingis trade, they kind of hit on that. Everybody was happy, basically, with Porzingis and uh, Dinwiddie trade. What I'm curious and what I wrote, I think, in one of the articles, and maybe, Tim, you can tell me your position, do you rather are where you are now or where you were last season? So last season you had Porzingis plus Branson, and this season you had Dinwiddie and Wood. I think talent-wise, probably last season was better. But if you look contract-wise, if you have Porzingis at 45 million or Branson at 40, and then you have Wood and uh, Dimity at, I don't know, 14 and 18 million a piece, probably you go for the latter for the future. I don't know how you look at that. Yeah, I think I think contractually it's it's uh, no contest that the Mavericks have, um, you know, they have they have two players who are comparable talent wise and and just give them so much more flexibility going forward. So I agree with you. I I, I don't think the Mavericks are in a, a bad place. I just think that it, it might be a place of patience. And I, I think that's gonna gonna rub I, I think that's gonna go against the grain of some people who just saw them go against go to the conference finals that this team probably is still a couple of years away. But that's a great place to be and the best place you can be if you're an NBA team is to have Luka Doncic and they have that and in, in you know just far and away that you know, that is, is a, is a salve to, to so much of the, uh, you know, worries about how exactly they're going to get to title contention because they've got time. They've got time to get there. So that's, uh, going to be the pod. And I thought that, I, that, that was a, you know, it, it, this conversation went a few places I, I wasn't even expecting it, but I think, I think it's a, uh, really good summation of, of what things are going to look like. And, uh, yeah, my, my, my final parting sentence is just, enjoy next season find you know whatever it is like if, if you're a fan of this team find a way to enjoy next season like like reframe i think it is worth reframing your mindset if 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 you can only see next season being a success you know if you're just waiting for the team to get to the postseason and then only want them you know demand that they have to get back to the conference finals I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it and you know any season with luka Doncic should be enjoyed so we'll leave you guys on that um we'll have another episode next week see ya he plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, big dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh, my God. Oh! Oh! Shut it down. Oh Let's go home. <laughs> it's a wrap, Doug. Man, that is a wrap. <laughs> Woo!